We've been in a series looking at our core values as a church, and uh, these are kind of, in a sense, the DNA of our values as a church body, have been there since the beginning when we started Christ Community, continue to be very important, critical values of ministry and what we hold to as a church body. And so uh, in the past few weeks, we've looked at things like our worship, looking at what Christ-centered worship is and what that means for us on a weekly basis we gather here together. Also, what it means to have a culture and everything we do of being centered around the gospel of grace. We've looked at that as a core value. Last week, we looked at a biblical-based teaching that all of, our, all of our teaching, all of our equipping and our discipleship is through the word of God, that God's word is the final authority, and we seek for that to be the main foundation, the only foundation from which we seek to disciple and equip one another. And so today we're looking at a fourth core value, and that is authentic community, what it means to be a covenant community together, to be together in the body of Christ. So our scripture today is a New Testament uh, passage from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. You can turn there in your Bibles if you have them, or also there's the text on the right side of your bulletin. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Listen as I read God's word. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this very hour that your word speaks to our hearts. Your Holy Spirit, using the very words that you have given us, enlightening our minds, giving us clarity of understanding, convicting our hearts of those things that need to be considered, convincing us of your love for us, giving us a true conviction about who you are and how you have come to us, pursued us, and brought us to yourself so that even this day we might worship and glorify you with our lives, with our hearts, with all that we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yesterday uh, and the past several days has just been beautiful fall weather. Hopefully you've got out a little bit and enjoyed and seen it to some degree. Our family yesterday enjoyed a beautiful fall day. We did several different activities together, uh, probably three or four things. We just basically spent the whole day together doing different things. And one of the things we did is we went and we picked out a fairly good-sized pumpkin that uh, later on we're going to enjoy just kind of carving and enjoying uh, as a family. But we did these kind of things together throughout the whole day just enjoying God's blessing of giving us one another. Just celebrating and enjoying being with each other as a family and knowing that the connection and the value we have has been given to us because God has blessed us with that. And there's something that is very secure 
and knowing what God gives us as his children in his blessings and in those things that he has rightly and so well given us. You know, from time to time, our daughters will say just how much they're so glad to be in our family. And that makes, as a parent, your heart just kind of sing, just kind of leap to have your children actually speak the words that they're glad to be in your family. You know, a lot of times our children will say, you know, I have to be in my family. You know, you don't get a choice on whose family you're in. Those kind of thoughts. But from time to time, God blesses parents when their children actually rise up and express thanksgiving and gladness. What a joy it is to be in a family together. You know, today we're looking at a passage that's reminding us of what it means to be in a family together. To be in this community called Christ Community Church. This spiritual family, this community of brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so, as Peter is reminding us what community, what a family togetherness looks like, we're going to take a perspective, first of all, from an eternal viewpoint. And we do so because kind of Peter, of course, addressing those who are being persecuted, addressing those in a situation to where uh, certainly their temporal circumstance was very challenging, was very much uh, a situation that we, many of us, have never experienced as far as oppression from government or from outside in the direct way that they received it. But yet, Peter is reminding and challenging believers in the church 2,000 years ago things that are very applicable even to us in 2012. And he does so First of all, in verse 7, by saying, the end of all things is near. He's speaking about that community is eternal, first of all. You see, though we experience it on a temporal level, each one of us, being in a community together really has an eternal perspective, or it should have an eternal perspective, because when being in a community together on the here and now is seen through eternal eyes, then it takes on a whole new meaning. It takes on a perspective that it should, not just what we can in a finite way see here and now, but the way that God actually sees our community that we are in. The end of all things is near. You know, in Peter's day, as I mentioned, they were often, the church was under attack spiritually, but also socially, politically. But because of the persecution and the suffering they experienced, Many felt the literal end was near. Some truly felt Christ was coming back then, right then. And throughout church history, throughout the ages, we have seen many who have written or thought and even proclaimed and taught that Christ was coming back very soon in their day. They anticipated, even some have tried to predict, that he was going to return. We believe he will, his imminent return will happen not knowing the hour or day, but he will. But they thought because of what they experienced. Peter reminds us that what we think, say, and do now in our spiritual community must be informed, I believe, by the eternal future. By even what is eternally true now beyond the temporal realm that we live in. Peter already began this thinking in his whole letter 
uh, in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Peter, of course, himself an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, and he says, who? Strangers in the world. Strangers in the world. Indicating and certainly giving us an idea that there's a place different than where we are now. We're strangers here. We're not supposed to be here. This is a strange place for those who are God's children. There's a place that is not strange to us, that will be and is our home for all eternity. Chapter 2, Peter says, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. Again, reminding us, this place should be foreign to us. This place should be foreign to you and me. Spiritually, it should be. There should be an understanding and a a conviction that there is that eternal future. You know, in light of our future eternal community, we must live in our present community in such a way that our values and our choices are congruent with our future, future eternal home. So, as Peter writes, the end of all things is near, it should remind us there is going to be that future home. And it's different than the here and now. And so now, living in our community here and now should be informed. We should think of it in light of this being the eternal reality one day, forever and ever, that we'll be with our brothers and sisters for all eternity, not just for these few years that we gather here together, but it should be something we see in light of eternity. You know, if we make decisions right now based on just what we get out of this world now, making your decisions on just what you can get out of what you're experiencing here and now, we'll miss out on so many other blessings, so many blessings that God has given us that reflect our eternal position. We have to realize that those with whom we share the pew with today are the very ones that will stand and worship Jesus forever in heaven one day. The very ones that you are seated next to right now are likely the ones who will stand with you, giving all praise and adoration to God himself. That you'll glorify God with your brothers and sisters for all eternity. In a sense, all we do every Sunday for an hour is practice of what it really will be like that day. Now, hopefully, it's very real. It's not just practice. Of course, it's real, but it's a, it's a reminder. It's a foreshadowing of that glorious worship experience that we will all have without the hindrances of this shell, like it is now, without the distractions that we have now, a whole different eternal home that we will have together. Do you live each day in light of what you can only see, or do you live in light of this eternity, this eternal home? You know, authentic community is eternal, not just because in light of what we just spoke about, but also because the divine template is eternal for community. What is the template for community? The template for community is the Trinity. The very template that we understand perfect harmony, perfect relationship, relating one to another, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Trinity is the most perfect 
We can't even comprehend what its perfections are really like. And yet we have an understanding of the harmony and relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit. And that gives us an understanding of eternal community, perfect harmony. God could have chosen an infinite number of ways to display his existence, but he chose to define himself in community. God chose to define who he is, who he was and always will be, in a concept that we understand of relationship, of harmonious, perfect relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we've been created to reflect that very nature of God himself, the divine template of community. We have been able and are able to understand that to a certain extent. Now the scriptures, though they describe individual conversions where people come to faith and express their trust in what Christ has done for them, scriptures from time to time describe those experiences. The overwhelming theme of all of scripture as you read from Genesis to Revelation will be the theme that God has redeemed not an individual just person, but God has sought from the very beginning to redeem a people to himself. A people belonging to him, all who are his, his children, his flock, those whom he loves and draws to, his, to himself, a community of people that God is working to seeking right now, redeeming unto himself. He's still redeeming those that are his, bringing them into his family. First Peter chapter 2, but you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of his darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, we're a people that have received God's grace, God's mercy. We're a people that God has called together, not in isolation, each one of us out among or just by ourselves, but we have been called together, a people of God. And so we belong together as God's people. God has called us to be that people who receive mercy. We're created by God to be in relationship. We are created to be in relationship. We're created to be in relationship with him, but also with others. We are designed that way. We are not designed to be in isolation by ourselves. Dan Allender and Tremper Longman in a book called Intimate Allies said this, God does not exclusively fill the human heart. He made mankind to need more than himself. The staggering humility of God to make something that was not to be fully satisfied with the creator and the creation is incomprehensible. It's an interesting, provoking thought to think that God designed us just as he designed Adam and he says it's not good for man to be alone he designed then Eve to be with Adam in community and in fellowship together. God has designed us to be in relationship in a very unique way that he's made us. We are supposed to be in community. And that community has the eternal 
as its backdrop, knowing full well that it's informed by what we also will be in our home one day. Peter moves now to very practical advice to the church there in 1 Peter regarding just how their community life should be. How should it look? What should the practical outworkings of being a community together look like? What makes our community here at Christ's community authentic? What makes it very real? What helps it develop through what Peter's words tell us? First of all, in verse 7, praying for one another. Praying for one another, practically, just as Philip mentioned in his prayer a few moments ago. The need to pray, not just for those that maybe we struggle with in our daily life, whether at work or uh, in relationships we have outside of work, but also praying for those that we have in our church body together. Praying and lifting up one another. Peter says in verse 7, Be clear-minded, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled, so that you can pray. Now, at first glance, you'd think that the advice Peter gives, and certainly rightly so in some ways, is suited more for preparing a good defense of the faith. Be clear-minded. Have self-control as you prepare to defend the gospel. But instead, Peter says, so that you can pray. That's why you should be self-controlled and clear-minded, so you can pray. Peter's purpose for clear-mindedness and self-control are so that we can be more apt to pray, especially for one another. Also for those that don't know the Lord, but for one another as well, to pray for each other, to lift each other up, our needs together, and to truly seek the Lord on behalf of one another. You know, I'm often amazed, so on Sundays after I mention the connection card and there's prayer requests, please, you can write them on the back. And I understand maybe some things are a little private and difficult to write down, and who knows who may read it, uh, and I understand that. And yet, very few cards do we get on a, on, a, on a Sunday for prayer. We get two, three, sometimes you don't get any cards for prayer. And I'm sure there are needs that are there that we never hear about for prayer. We would desire for you to let us know Throughout the week, you can email me or, or any of us on staff or the elders. You can let us know, what are your prayer needs? We want to be praying for you. Let us know those things that you desire and need prayer for. You know, how often do we say, maybe when you're speaking with someone here in the church or, or outside the church, you might say, after they share something going on in their life, you might say, well, brother, I'll be sure to pray for you. And then what do we sometimes do? We get distracted, we go off something in our day, and then the night comes, we next day and the next, and all of a sudden we see the person the next week at church, and all of a sudden you remember, oh no, I didn't pray. Like I said I would for them. Often we'll say it, but do we actually pray for the person? Or how often do we say, please pray for me, and you mention it to someone, a brother or a sister, and then you never really go back and and share with that person how God has answered maybe their prayer for, for what you asked prayer for. And to mention and to continue to engage in relationships for prayer, support, and encouragement. You know, spiritual authenticity and community cannot exist without each other praying often and regularly for each other. Calling on God to provide and protect and care for all that we have with one another. 
This week, I had an opportunity to go spend one evening at uh, a couple's home in our church, a, a family in our church, and spent some time praying with them, actually from last week's connection card that they wrote, a prayer need. And I called up and asked them about it, and I sensed there was really a desire for more than just what was written on the card. So I went and spent some time praying with them for these needs they have in their life. And I was in, uh, one of the, the nature of the need was somewhat health-related, and, and, and part of uh, the struggle was not getting much rest at night, and so laying awake for many hours uh, in the middle of the night, and, and then uh, as they share, they shared, but as I, lay, as I lay there not be able to sleep, it gives me an opportunity to spend a whole lot of time in prayer. And they said, and you need to know, Mike, I'm praying for you. And I just sat there. I was ministered to, even though I went to go minister to them, because they let me know they were praying for me. I didn't even know they were praying for me. And yet, what an encouragement. And I could then pray for them. Mutual encouragement happens when we pray for each other and we let each other know. If you're praying for someone, let them know it. Tell them. Email them, text them, whatever. Let them know you're praying for them. They need the encouragement. I know they need the encouragement. We all need to be encouraged if we know others are praying for us. Sometimes we may never know we might be the only one praying for someone at that time in their life or that particular moment, or we may be the only one to communicate we're praying with them, praying for them. So encouragement through prayer, being a community that truly prays for each other. You know, and as you share prayer with each other, it just can't help but be real. Authenticity will absolutely come through prayer. When you pray with and for others, it's very real. It's very real. Praying for each other, but also loving one another. Look at what Peter writes. Above all, verse 8, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, truly loving others lies at the heart of what it means to be an authentic community. To be a community loving others others, period, just loving others that God has placed in our community. And that's sometimes hard to do, even as, again, Philip had no idea that his particular prayer uh, sharing and, and leading in prayer had everything to do with what I was going to be speaking with today, but loving others in spite of the struggles at times, reaching out and pursuing others in love, even though it may be difficult you know, John 13, 34, Jesus is speaking with the disciples there, and he says this, a new command that I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus clearly taught loving one another is absolutely a sign of being a follower of him, is clearly a mark of the church, of his brothers, of us as a community of followers of Christ, loving one another. You know, when Jesus said these words in John 13, as I have loved you, what was he actually communicating? Well, first of all, authentic community is based upon relationships. And we are a community, we must be of relationships. Jesus knew that the disciples would be motivated by his love in relationship for them. 
That's how he was motivating the disciples, was his relationship of loving them and giving and investing and sacrificing himself for and to them, not just commanding them to do what was right, giving them the commands. He certainly gave them direction and clear guidance on living their life, but it was in the whole context of relationship. It was a command given in the context of loving them. Obedience to God only works when it's motivated by God's love. You see, our relationship with Christ, obeying God's commands, it only truly means anything if it's in the context of understanding God's love for us as he has done so through Christ. You know, here's the key. If Jesus had only commanded the disciples and not really loved them with his life, with his time, with his investment, it is likely that they would have maybe obeyed him, but they would not have loved him. And they would not have martyred, given themselves as martyrs for him after he ascended. They would have obeyed while he was there because that was important to do what God's commands say, but it would not have been in a relationship of being loved, and they would not have given themselves to him. When Jesus said, as I have loved you, what do you think he meant there with the disciples in John 13? Well, certainly it at least refers to the act of kindness when he had just washed their feet in the upper room. As I have just served and washed your feet in a selfless, sacrificial act of kindness that only the lowliest would ever do in our culture, as I have just shown you how much I love for you, so now you must love one another. It at least means that in its context. We understand that. But what did Jesus' foot washing really point to? The ultimate washing. The ultimate washing, which was his sacrifice on the cross. For our sin, you see, even as I have loved you, as I've given myself for you, and they would see just a short time after the foot washing, giving of his very life for them, that is what he meant, as I have loved you, ultimately expressed on the cross. So how has Jesus loved you, is the question for the moment. How has Jesus loved you? You might say, well, let's see, God's loved me, he's put a roof over my head. He's put food on our table. He's given me a car to drive to work. He's given me a job to go to work and to earn income and to provide for my family. And uh, he's given me uh, pretty good health. Well, that's wonderful. Those are expressions of God's love for you. But guess what? Those are also expressions of God's love for most of the world, many people in this world who are not his very family. You see, God's common love, common grace will cover those things that I just mentioned. But yet, there's a special love, a special grace that he has given his family, his children, that he gives us. That is what God promises to those who are his. Peter says this, love covers a multitude of sins. Not just love one another, but he says love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. You see, you can't really love someone deeply if you don't love them even in the midst of them hurting you. Can you? Can you love someone only when they're really being nice to you? 
Yes, that's easy to do. But that will, you will not love them deeply. You will love them, but not deeply. You will love someone deeply when they hurt you, and in spite of them hurting you, you continue to love them. And you will know what it means to be deeply loved when in spite of you hurting someone, they still love you. Am I right? The deepest relationships you have are those people who love you in spite of yourself. Are they not? They are. That's how we understand the gospel. Jesus loved you in spite of what you've done against him and hurting him and doing to him. He's loved you in spite of that. And there is no deeper love than that for all eternity. That's how we understand deep love. And it says deeply loving others, that kind of love covers a multitude of sins. You know, if you're hurt by a brother or sister in the body, if you're hurt by someone, go to the Father first, Heavenly Father first. That doesn't mean don't go to them, but go to the Father first. Always go to God the Father first. Speak with him about the pain and the hurt. Ask him to give you perspective about it. Understand it, maybe in the way you haven't quite understood it, whether through he brings someone else to give you understanding or just directly he reveals through his word to you what has happened. First, do that. Let me say that again. Go to the Father first. Don't go to the person in the midst of a heated response of being hurt. Rarely will that ever accomplish much. Can you identify with that? I have. Don't shoot off an email right after you got an email that hurts you. I've done that. Don't do that. Or a text or a phone call. Don't leave a message that you shouldn't have left. You know, hoping and praying that they're not going to answer so you can really give them a piece of your mind. Don't do that. Go to God the Father first and talk to him about it. Then, after a season of reflection and prayer... Consider if you need to go further. You, love can't cover a multitude of sins if you're trying to do it first. You're trying to deal with all those multitudes of sins of everybody else's struggles. You need to go to the Father first. But then, if necessary, go and deal with that sin. Go and deal with that situation. Don't give the evil one a foothold on your heart. Don't, links, don't let things fester in your heart that God says you need to deal with. Deal with them and speak with them. Forgiveness is important. And if you've been, if you have forgiven that person, you've forgiven them. It's done. And you move on from that moment forward. You know, sometimes we forget that those whom we make the object of our rejection, Christ has made the objects of his affection. We forget that those who sometimes we make the object of our rejection because of their hurt against us, Jesus has actually made them the object of his affection, and we need to deal with that rejection that we have caused and that we have chosen. We must not forget that those that Jesus died for are sometimes going to be the very ones that we feel we cannot live with. You might feel that way, but they're those whom Jesus has died for, and therefore we can live with them. In fact, there can be great blessing in the midst of struggle.
If we're going to keep renewing ourselves spiritually, which we're talking about this year, and experiencing real community, we must love each other deeply, even when we sin against one another. Loving one another deeply. Think about it. Because Jesus loved you and me in spite of our failures and our sins, we are able to love others in spite of their sin and in spite of their failures that fail us and hurt us. Some of you here today, maybe listening to what I'm saying, have never experienced that kind of love and forgiveness. You've been hurt all your life, and you've never experienced that kind of forgiveness, that acceptance, that deep of a love, a love that loves you even though you know that you failed. Well, here's the good news. You can. And God is calling you to do that this very moment. Receive what Christ has done for you. Acknowledge your own sinfulness. Acknowledge your own need for God's and Christ's forgiveness of all that you have done in your life. And trust that he has accomplished and forgiven you. So that you can have relationships where you deeply are loved and you deeply love others because Jesus has deeply loved you. Loving others is a very real sign of being in community. But thirdly, not just loving and forgiving, but also <clears throat> being hospitable to one another, Peter writes about. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Being hospitable to one another. You know, God desires that we are hospitable. We are welcoming, we are inviting, and we desire to reach out our, our arms to one another as God gives us opportunity. God's calling us to be hospitable, offering our lives in such a way that anyone, especially brothers and sisters, but anyone can be welcomed and would feel welcomed in our presence. Have you ever asked yourself, do other people feel welcomed in my presence? That may be a tough question to ask yourself. Maybe ask someone who knows you really well. Do, do you feel welcomed in my presence? Ask someone that and be ready for the response. Do others really feel received when they're around you? Or do you kind of give the straight arm to most people when you're around them. How do, you, how do you connect with people? I just don't mean here on Sunday morning or after the service is over in the lobby, but just in your life. Do you, are your arms more open or are they like this? Are they closed or are they open? Are you willing to pursue relationships, being hospitable? You know, there's two arenas of hospitality that we can consider first would be our own homes, our own family, our, our own immediate context, but also at large, our church family, our home here as a church body on Sundays especially. You know, welcoming newcomers on Sunday morning, those that are new. I know some of you are newer to Christ community. Some of you may have never come to Christ community except this is your first time. Let me say on behalf of everybody here, welcome. You're more than welcome to be here with us today. We're so glad you're here. I won't make you stand and ask you to tell us your name and embarrass you. We never do that. But we're glad you're here. 
We want you to know this is a place that we desire for you to consider a possible spiritual home. That God would want you to consider that. You know, welcoming people on Sunday. Helping someone who's new find where the nursery is. That can be hard. Helping someone find where the restroom is. You know, there's one over here and there's one over here. But no one else might know that if they're new. Helping, you see someone new, rather than just continue to enjoy, which is great, the fellowship of your brothers and sisters here, keep an eye always out for anyone new in the lobby. It just doesn't have to be someone who's on the welcome team to do that. All of us should be the welcome team of this church, reaching out and welcoming and helping people get to where they need to get, find a place to be, helping them with their children, helping them with their situation, wherever we can be of a need, being an entire body that is hospitable. We can do that. You certainly wouldn't have someone come to your home and knock on the door, open the door, turn away, and just let them figure out what to do. Would you? No. So why would we do that here? When we open the front door on Sunday morning, that's, this is our home. And when people come into our home, we should bend over backwards to welcome them as you would in your own home. In any, in any way possible, whatever it takes, we'll do that. Because... This is our home, and we want others to feel welcomed in our home together. You know, serving in the nursery is a... You may say, oh, here he goes again. <laughs> you may say, I don't feel comfortable going out to people I don't know. Okay. If you served in the nursery to help others who may feel comfortable doing something like that, you could help being hospitable, taking care of their children, that they know their children are being loved and taken care of because of those who serve in the nursery, serving them in that way. You know, not just our church home here on Sunday mornings and when we gather together, but as we understand grace, we also understand that we can invite others into our personal home too. You might say, well, I'm not a Martha Stewart. That doesn't work for me. That's just not going to happen. Okay, well, maybe you could reconsider that. But even after you reconsider it, you could also invite them just into your life by maybe going out for coffee or going somewhere. In other words, inviting them into your life, not just specifically your literal home, going out to someplace for lunch after church on Sunday or, or any time or, or just in going for dessert somewhere during the week. In other words, having your life intersect with theirs. That's being hospitable. Intersecting our lives with others. You know, I think I mentioned there are blind spots we have as a church family. This summer as I was thinking through blind spots and as I returned and kept asking people uh, their perspectives and reflections, here's a blind spot I think we might not see as a church body. I believe that we are a fairly welcoming church on Sunday morning. So for that, you get a B plus right now. I think we're fairly welcoming on Sunday morning. I think we can continue to grow in that. I'd love to see A plus and keep growing towards that. But I think we're fairly welcoming. But here's one area I know that sometimes we don't quite see. Being welcoming for a few moments on Sunday is not the same as pursuing someone in relationships. That's a different thing. So when you see someone new, rather than just let it stop at, we're glad you're here. Have you lived in the community very long and saying a few words? That's great. But let's go beyond that. Pursue someone and asking them either over to your home or, or going out for lunch after church or doing something. In other words, pursuing people relationally. 
That's a blind spot that we need to grow in as a church body. The more people feel wanted and pursued, I don't mean accosted and stalked. That's not what I mean. But I mean pursued in a very relational way. Maybe like they haven't been pursued. That's going to communicate the love of Christ to them. That's going to communicate Christ's love. So I believe we need to grow in that area together. All of us seeking to reach out and pursue others. You know, there's a difference between being a warm church on Sunday morning and being a hot church every other night of the week where we're just hotly pursuing people and relationships for the purpose of spiritual encouragement and being the body of Christ. The last area that Peter gives us is the area beyond um, just reaching out, but also serving one another. Serving one another, verse 10 and verse 11, each one, of a, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You know, Peter sums up gifts in two areas of service, word and deed, in the word and in deed. And as he explains, when we use our gifts in the body, God literally, in a very spiritual manner, imparts his grace to others that we're serving. People receive God's grace when you serve them. It is a, you're a literal conduit of God's grace being imparted to them when you serve them. So we are called to serve. Why did God give spiritual gifts to believers? Well, if you sign up for November 4th on my Shape Spiritual Gifts Seminar, you'll find out. But why he did so for the edification and benefit of everyone in the body. He didn't give spiritual gifts for any other reason, primarily, though, to edify and build up the body of Christ. That's why he gave the gifts to, to each one of us. And we serve others when we use our gifts in word and in deed. Think about this. The gospel tells us that the ultimate act of service was when Christ served us by giving his very, his very self for us. Mark 10, 44 and 45. Whoever wants to become great among you, Jesus said, must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The ultimate service was Jesus giving his very life for us. But his whole life pointed to that. It pointed to, I'm here to serve my mission is to serve, not to expect, not to be served, and not to seek that which is for me, but is to seek that which is for us, his people. And that's what he has done. If we do not actively use our gifts and serve the body, but instead we choose to sit on the sidelines and not serve, then God's grace is not being administered to it's not being expressed. It's not being dispensed in the same way it could be if we were serving. Are you serving at Christ Community right now? Maybe you're in a season where you needed a break, and that, from time to time that happens. But are you serving in the body? I encourage you, if you're not, that you find a place to serve. There are many areas of need to serve and to give of your time and yourself. And if you're not serving, then consider how you might begin to serve in some way. Dispensing God's grace through service 
is vital to developing real community. Praying, loving, being hospitable, and serving one another, they're all these ingredients put together for having authentic community. May we employ these very practical ways of being the community that Christ has given us for one another so that he's glorified, but also we receive all of the blessings that he has intended for us to receive by his grace.